It's Thursday, the 7th of November, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, US Democrats took control of Virginia in state elections this week for the first time in over two decades. Is it a sign of trouble ahead for the Republican Party? We'll get the insights of former Deputy Homeland Security Advisor Amy Pope. I think the real key states are going to be Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Trump's big, big wins that really just swung the election in his favor. Plus, why flights are being rerouted at Tokyo's airport. How Warner Brothers is storing media on glass in its effort to preserve master copies of much-loved films. And our design editor, Nolan Giles, considers the state of museum design back home in Australia. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. U.S. Democrats seized full control of the legislature in Virginia for the first time in over 20 years this week, while Andy Bashir claimed victory in the Kentucky governor's race. But with at least 17 candidates still vying for the Democratic nomination, how much confidence can the party take from this week's results? Amy Pope is an associate fellow at the U.S. and America's program at Chatham House and was also a deputy homeland security advisor during Barack Obama's presidency. In places like Michigan, for example, the key swing states, we saw some elections of Democratic candidates in historically Republican districts, and those candidates won on a platform of being willing to work across the aisle, willing to get work done, willing to focus on the key kind of bread and butter, kitchen table issues like health care and education, and really step away from Trump's very divisive rhetoric. So I think there is sort of a frustration with this ongoing partisan back and forth with with Trump himself. And that's a key lesson for him in advance of 2020. My prediction for 2020 is that voters are going to gravitate toward a more middle of the road, more get things done, less polarizing candidate. I mean, there are real questions about what will happen in the election, and I, I'm certainly not qualified at this moment in time to predict how it's going to go. But but all the signs suggest that that's the right candidate for the Democrats to get to winning the White House. And so that's where, you know, I think voters are just very tired of this this very polarizing, very divisive rhetoric. That's not to say the base doesn't love it because, you know, President Trump is playing to somebody and I think he's playing to his base and they're eating it up. So He's also thinking, I got to get those people to the polls and the numbers that they came out in 16. This is his strategy. I think the real key states are going to be uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Trump's big, big wins that um, really just swung the election in his favor. I think the real question is, what is the conversation that's happening in the Senate? So right now, the Senate is Republican. Mitch McConnell is the majority leader. He's from Kentucky. He's going to be looking at that results and asking himself real questions about what his strategy should be going into 2020. And this is going to be the interesting part of it. We have the impeachment inquiry going on in the House. To date... Mitch McConnell's strategy has been to, you know, let that play out on the assumption that the Senate will continue to support the president. The real question is, has there been a shift in places like Kentucky that will persuade Mitch McConnell that aligning himself and his members with the president is actually more damaging? That's the one to watch. And we'll see that play out, I think, in the next few weeks. To Tokyo now, where a series of new flight routes are getting ready for takeoff. 
Japan's plan to let passenger jets fly over Tokyo beginning in March 2020 will boost the number of flights at Haneda Airport to 99,000 annually, from 60,000 now. The plan, just in time for the Summer Olympics, is expected to lift the economy and make Tokyo more competitive against rival cities in Asia. But residents are not entirely on board. Many worry that the noise and the possibility of falling objects and ice could drag down property values. To reassure the public, transport ministry officials are hitting the road for 60 town hall-style meetings in Tokyo and nearby prefectures of the next three months. The officials will explain that they're working with airlines to increase maintenance checks and will reveal the results of a survey assessing the effects of aircraft noise on real estate prices, while also letting residents air their grievances. If you've ever struggled with what to do about that pile of old DVDs that's cluttering your lounge, then spare a thought for film preservationists maintaining all those reels of history dating all the way back to the dawn of cinema requires a great deal of effort and a lot of space. Now, however, Microsoft have come up with a new idea that could make the process much easier. Yonko Rutgers has been writing about it for Variety. Yonko, how does this work? Essentially, this is something that Microsoft has been looking into for a couple of years now with the idea of storing data in a very secure fashion on a medium that would last hundreds of years or even thousands of years. And for this project, silica, as they call it, they use silica glass. In this case, they used a, a piece of glass that's about the size of a coaster. And they use specialized lasers that are, I've been told, somewhat similar to the lasers that are used for eye surgery, this LASIK surgery. And it burns or etches tiny geometric shapes into multiple layers of glass. And you can store a lot of data with it, but also it is in a medium that you can Afterwards, you could boil it, it could be uh, subject to radiation, it would still last all these things. Uh, and in this case, they used uh, a copy of the 1978 uh, Superman movie, which is about 75 gigabytes of data. But eventually, they want to store a whole lot of more on these pieces of glass. If we were to look into the history of movie studios and the way that they have dealt with their past, it's often not a very happy story. There are endless stories of studios not being very good at preserving their own history, and, and thus we have a very long list of films that have been lost, up to 75% of silent-era films certainly uh, are not with us anymore. What do you think has been the change in the mentality of movie studios? Why do you think they're now looking at, at their material is something that does need to be preserved, not just in the short term, but in all eternity. Well, I think one part of this is that they realize that some of these older works uh, regain new value and that people rediscover these movies, sometimes they issue re-editions of these. And actually, when I talked to the people at Warner Bros., they were giving me one example, which is The Wizard of Oz. So recently, they reissued this as a 4K version because now people have higher resolution TVs. They want to see it maybe with, with brighter colors and so forth. And so they have to go back to their archives and make sure that these movies are still there and, and still accessible. It's it's interesting. I actually didn't know how Hollywood stores these types of things. So far, they have been storing these in on film, obviously. Uh, everything used to be shot on film. But they used to then take a regular film, a regular color movie, for example, and split it up into the individual color components, so in, into the primary colors, if you will. And each of these primary colors was then written on a black and white uh, film. 
And then when you were going back, for example, for this Wizard of Oz project, they took these individual components, uh, scanned them, essentially digitized them, and then put them back together by colors. And that has been working well. The, Hollywood has been doing that for decades, but they're looking really for ways to augment it, to find even more secure solutions and also deal with these new types of data that I was talking about. There's no place like home. My thanks to Yonko Rutgers in California. You can read more about that preservation project by Microsoft and Warner Brothers by reading Yonko's piece in Variety. And tune in to Saturday's edition of Monocle Weekends for a closer look. Finally today, Monocle's design editor Nolan Giles considers the state of museums back at home in Australia. Sat in the shade under the cantilevering roof of Brisbane's world-class gallery of modern art, surveying the surrounding sun-drenched subtropical flora is as good a spot as any to reflect on the thoughtfulness in design of Australia's cultural institutions. The quality of lead architects and local Queenslanders Kerry and Lindsay Clare's gallery of modern art design marries harmoniously with its neighbouring 1975 modernist marvel, the Queensland Art Gallery. Again, this much-loved design came from a local master architect, Robin Gibson, who chose to embrace the shrubbery that would clamber across a sunken, pebble-dashed concrete building. For decades now, since Denmark's Jorn Utzon threw down the design gauntlet with the 1957 Sydney Opera House, Aussie architects have proven their worth in forging the nation's finest buildings. A big reason, as our Brisbane examples illustrate, is their understanding of local context and climate. Which is why it saddens me so much when I receive another press release declaring that a big-name international architect has been commissioned to design an important new Australian building. While I'm certainly not taking aim at today's news that Japan's Pritzker Prize winners SANA have broken ground on an extension to Sydney's Art Gallery of New South Wales, I can't say I'm particularly excited by the prospect either. Sydney's track record with Starkitects includes uninspiring efforts from Frank Gehry and Rogers, Sturck, Harbour and Partners. They both feel out of place in the Harbour City. I'd much rather back a local who's cut their teeth working with Australia's unique and often difficult home terrain and weather conditions. Developers down under, who see greener grass elsewhere, might be wise to spend a little bit more time with me in the shade of the Gallery of Modern Art in Brisbane. For Monocle, I'm Nolan Giles. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.